morning, Christ Community Church. How are you? All right, I want to welcome you here in the worship space and online. Glad that you can join us here this morning for Christ Community Church. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And uh, happy Father's Day to my dad, who's right over there. Love, love you, Pop. If you're a guest with us today, particularly glad that you are joining us. Uh, would invite you to go uh, to our website, c3ak.com slash hello, and uh, let us know that you're here. There's a little connect card there. You can fill that out and tell us that you've been here with us today, and I'll shoot you a note via email. And then uh, if you're there at home and you got some kids around, you want some activities, for them to do while uh, they're joining us for the worship service today. You can go to c3ak.com slash kidprint. And uh, there's a couple of different things you can print out there, some for the younger ones, some for the older ones. Or if you want, just print them all out and see how it goes. Should be fine. All right, and then finally, before we jump into some music here, uh, we love to pray for you, pray with you. And so we invite you, if you would like, uh, for someone to pray along with you, you can reach out to our prayer team at prayer at c3ak.com. Uh, email us right there and that'll go out to our prayer team and those folks, uh, including myself, Pastor Jason, will pray for you, pray with you. You can put whatever you want to put on there, as much or as little as you want. And then uh, sometimes you want prayer, but you want it to be a little more confidential than that. Then we'll invite you to uh, just email me directly, Pastor Tracy at c3ak.com and that'll come straight to me and only me. And then I will share that with Pastor Jason, and uh, the two of us will join together and pray for you, all right? So it is great to see you here uh, in the house this morning as well. Uh, looks like it's going to be a lovely day outside, and I'm looking forward to getting into some of that later. But right now, I'm excited about being here in this place together with you. And uh, so I'm glad that you've joined us here. Uh, before I jump in, I'm going to say, um, uh, Jeremy... If I can get you to run and grab one more microphone and just put it up here somewhere that we can have available here in a little bit for an announcement. Actually, let's just get that out of the way now. Heather, where are you? Come on. Yes, please. And while she's doing that, let me throw in a couple of other things here. Uh, I want you to be praying for uh, Tyler and Carrie Knup and the folks out at the camp. They're going to be kicking off some camps here in just uh, a handful of days and not sure how all that's going to go yet, but the Lord has been good to provide some kids who want to come to camp and some people who want to work. And we're trying to figure out how to make all that work together as well. Our guy, Steven, back here will be heading out to the camp on Wednesday to get set up out there. He's going to be the kitchen manager for the camps this summer, and uh, we're excited that he's taken on that opportunity and he's excited to take on that opportunity it'll be a good time out there so pray for them as they are involved in that and they've got some other stuff that they need to take care of and so heather is going to tell us about that here uh, real real quick what number did we get there awesome Awesome. Thanks, Heather. All right, so if you're interested in that, make sure and uh, plug into the announcements that go out. If you want to talk to Heather before she leaves today, you might be able to do that. Uh, seems like maybe she said she had to, to buzz out, but I don't remember. Um, and then a couple of other things. Uh, speaking of lawn and weeding and things like that, uh, we've been doing some work around here, around the church, and we could always use extra hands. So if you'd like to come out on Wednesday nights between 4 and 6 and help us with pushing some lawnmowers around and yanking some weeds out of the flower beds. We would love to have you here with us. Uh, we usually have a, a good time. It's not particularly communal because we're all working, but it's still fun. And we uh, pick on each other and wave at each other across the lawn as we're, we're mowing. And it's a good thing. And it's usually nice to just get out and get some exercise so you can come and help us out with that. And then finally, finally, uh, you've seen all the tech work that's... Uh, gone into getting us launched here online and live. We could always use more help with that as well. We'd love to have a couple of more people, um, young people, older people, doesn't matter, 
probably need to have a little bit of a technical mind, uh, ability to, to work with computers and electronics, but uh, helping us out at the soundboard and at the media or at the broadcast machine that's back there. Uh, it's not terribly complicated in some ways, but uh, it could be as complicated as you want it to be if you're into that kind of thing. So if that's you or you know somebody who's looking for a place to plug in, this might be the place where they could do that. All right, so send them my way and uh, the Lord continues to provide. All right, woo! Can I pray for us and then let's sing together? All right, here we go. Father, thank you so much for this chance to be together here in this place with these believers, Lord, these beautiful people that are here today. Lord, I pray that you'll work in our hearts, speak to us, minister to us, teach us this morning through music, through scripture, Lord, through our community with one another. Lord, we continue to pray for our city, our state, our country, people around the world. Lord, as we are seeing so much strife and division and fear over so many things in our culture over uh, this pandemic, over racial issues, over uh, tensions with law enforcement and military and all those things, Lord, that we're seeing uncertainties about elections. And, and, uh, and Father, it's, it's a difficult time. But Lord, we know that you, you are the Lord of peace. You are the Lord of, Lord of purpose. Lord, that uh, you are not the author of confusion, but Lord, that you provide us the way and the truth and the life. And so, Lord, we lean on you, we trust in you, and this morning we lift our voices to you in praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can stand with us and sing if you'd like. The day is brighter here with you The night is lighter than it's you Would lead me to believe Which leads me to believe You make everything glorious You make everything glorious Make everything glorious, and I am yours. What does that make me? My eyes are small, but they have seen the beauty of enormous things leads me to believe there's light enough to see that you make everything glorious you make everything glorious you make everything glorious and I am yours glory Glory, you are glorious, you are glorious, from glory to glory, you are glorious, you are glorious, which leads me to believe why I can believe, you make everything glorious, you make everything glorious you make everything glorious and I am yours from glory from glory to glory you are glorious you are glorious from glory to glory you are glorious glorious which leads me to believe why I can believe you make everything glorious you make everything glorious you make everything glorious and I am yours what does that make me 
What does that make me? What does that make me? so I can get the words right. You ready? Oh, you've come. Oh, you've come to bring peace, to be love, to be nearer to us. You've come to bring life, to be light, to shine brighter in us so we
Hey, I'm muted. That'll work better. Is that better? You got something on me now? Can you hear me now? All right. Yesterday, we were 35 degrees cooler than we were last year on that same day. <laughs> right? Well, climate versus temperature, right? But I am so thankful that we don't have the, the wildfires this summer that we had last year. It was so devastating to so many people and uh, disruptive. We've got a different disruption going on in 2020, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, that just reminds me. We think about last year. And I just finished painting all of the trim. Well, almost. i got one more spot to do on the house because I painted the house last year. Thank you, by the way, for the, for the sprayer. Heather loaned me her paint sprayer. But I had to wait till, I, mean, I didn't get started till August because with uh, my asthma and stuff, I couldn't go out and work for hours at a time when that smoke was really heavy here in town. And so I waited and I waited and I waited and finally got started. And then by the time I got started, we were starting to shift into fall. And then it started to rain and I couldn't finish. So we got back to where we could finish it this year, but I was thinking this past week, last year we had that disruption of the wildfires to our way of life. This year we've got this disruption of this pandemic that's going around the world and up and down and spike and no spike and, and all kinds of craziness. And the reality is life offers disruptions all the time. Sometimes they're little, sometimes they're localized, you know, they're just your disruption. Uh, my friend over here just had his gallbladder out. That was a disruption, but it was pretty localized to your house, to your family. But it, it's, uh, you know, you weren't planning for that. Uh, I see my neighbor down the street's got his car up on jacks, has been for several days. That's a disruption. The car's not working. You can't drive it. There's no wheel on the, on the front front passenger side. It's not going anywhere. It's a disruption. And it just reminds me, just makes me think to be uh, thankful. Just be thankful for every moment. Disruptions are no disruption, but we're still here. We're still breathing. We're still living. We're still thinking, uh, still working, whether it's at our jobs or at our homes or doing whatever we can do. And to be thankful for what we have because in times like this, it can be so easy to focus on what we don't have. And I want to be reminded to be thankful. Uh, yeah, just wanted to share that with you this morning. So we're continuing in the book of Mark, kicking off chapter 5 today. And, and by the way, for some of you, especially maybe some of our younger folks, uh, the, the series that we've been in here since we started the book of Mark... This is what's called uh, generally expository preaching. It's a big word, expository. But what it means is rather than coming up with a topic or doing a topical series where we talk about things like family life or world events or whatever, we just go right to the word. We work through a series of verses or even sometimes just a verse. And we try to look at what does this text tell us Literally, like, what does it say? And then secondarily, what does that say to us in our lives today? And so today, uh, interesting text to me, and I'll, I may share some stories, I may not, it depends. I'm going to watch the time today because we've got a fairly long video to close out with this morning, and I don't want to keep us too long. But it approaches a topic that on its surface might seem difficult to apply. Because Jesus, the first account that we have in the gospel, is dealing with a man who is possessed by a spirit, by a demon, and how Jesus deals with that. And I think some of the more important things that are in here, some things that I want to draw out for you, are uh, how that can relate to our lives today, even though, chances are, nobody in this room is possessed by a demon right now. And, uh, and I say that uh, I grew up through the 80s, and in the late 80s, uh, America and other parts of the world experienced a strange phenomenon 
where almost everything bad you could think of was being blamed on satanic cults and satanic panic, we called it, and demon possession. And it was almost like, I remember a friend of mine, because God had allowed me a season to be involved with working with people who were deeply entrenched in the occult. Black magic, um, satanic worship, not the, the, the vanilla part where they don't really believe in a devil, they just don't believe in God and, and they, they want to exalt uh, humanity and, and humanistic ideas and they, they ascribe that to uh, a satanic personality but not a real personality. But I'm talking about people who genuinely believe in the, the devil that is described in scripture, the fallen angel himself, Lucifer, and worshiped him as a way to rebel against God. And I had the opportunity to work with a lot of people involved in those kinds of things, and including, I was, uh, took part in three, what I believe were genuine exorcisms, where someone was bound by an, an evil spirit, possessed by that spirit, and we were able to see them set free through deliverance. In that particular time in kind of America's religious history, sort of like maybe another time in America's religious history, but for some reason there was a flashpoint there around the late 80s to early 90s, and, and a friend of mine described it like this when I was involved in that ministry. He said, he said uh, Tracy, be careful. Don't go looking for the devil under every rock because you'll find him. And it wasn't a warning that the devil is everywhere and he's involved in every single thing that you go poke at. It's that if you start thinking that the devil is in everything, it's, it's what we call confirmation bias. You start to believe that the smallest thing that go wrong, goes wrong is the work of the devil. I think you have to be careful with that kind of thinking. And the reason it wasn't particularly profitable for us in that time in America was because uh, there were people who were accused of and some people who went to prison for things that were associated with this idea of satanic worship and occult worship and people were being subjected to deliverance ministries who weren't really possessed by a spirit they had other issues they had other problems or some people were completely innocent of the things that they were accused of but this panic and this uh, thinking took over and it was unhealthy and yet I say because of my own experience having worked with people, this text here isn't speaking of fantasy. There are people at times who are so oppressed by evil spirits that there are some even who have given themselves over to the power and control of an evil spirit and can be possessed by that spirit and need to be delivered. So, Somewhere in between most things, there's a tension of everybody who does crazy and weird and some things that we think are bad doesn't mean they're possessed by the devil. But by the same token, it doesn't mean that nobody is ever possessed by the devil because I'm here to tell you they are. And the reason I know they are is because I've seen it with my own eyes and, more importantly, because the Bible tells me it's true. So when we talk about expository teaching, expository preaching, we look at this text and we say, what does it say and do we believe that it's telling us the truth? All right, so that being said, high likelihood that no one in here, although it could be, the Lord will do his work and he will, he will uh, show what he wants to show, high likelihood that no one in this room is actually possessed by a demonic spirit. If you are, let's talk. We'll see what we can do about that because the power of Christ is greater than any spirit that might reside in any other person. However, there's still truth in here for us to learn and for us to understand. All right, so let's look at the story and see what we've got here. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Now, remember last week, we talked about Jesus calming the storm, right? Remember he had talked about the mustard seed and the lamp under the basket he was teaching, there was a great crowd and a crush of people, and Jesus said, let's get in the boat, guys, to his disciples, let's go to the other side, because he wanted to take a break, and the storm came up, and the guys were afraid, they thought they were going to drown, they thought they were going to die, Jesus calms the storm, and, and the disciples marvel at his power, that, they, in fact, they ask the question, who is this guy that he has even the power 
to tell the wind and the waves to be still. They still didn't fully understand who Jesus was. And so here it says in the very first part, then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been often bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of him, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. So back here at the start of this, we're going to continue on with some of this text here in just a moment, but I want to give you a couple of points. Here's one thing that we learn from this story about when the enemy, when Satan comes to torment, when he comes to, to mess with the lives of whoever it is, believers and non-believers, but he wants to, remember, there's another passage that tells us that the devil is, is like a what? A roaring lion, prowling around, seeking for someone to what? Devour. So that enemy is still active and moving in the world today. He still intends to mess up the plans of God for your life, for our life together for the, the best intentions of people in the world. It's a, it's a cosmic war that we can't see often with our own eyes because it's, it's veiled, it's hidden within the spiritual realm. We can see the effects of it all the time. But here's something that we learn about this, that when the enemy comes into our lives and wants to oppress us, when the enemy comes in and wants to to chip away at or destroy or tear down the good works and the good things that God has planned for us. Ephesians tells us from even before the world was founded that what that looks like is it, it leads us to a place of death. Because what does this tell us? It tells us this man who is possessed has, has taken up residence among the dead, in the tombs, the cemetery that he hangs out there, and this is his place of habitation now. We see him also there, it says that he is tormented. They've tried to shackle him, they've tried to bind him, but his power is great, this man who is possessed. This reminds me, this tells me that when the enemy comes into our lives, and listen, sometimes he comes into to mess with our plans, right, to, uh, to actively work in a negative way against the things that we know to be good, sometimes the way that he does that is by tempting us into sin, right? It's not just overtly, you know, if we put it in pedestrian terms, it's not just, oh, uh, uh, he came in and, and he, he messed with and he orchestrated uh, ways in which then the plans that I had made didn't work out. And that's the enemy at work, and sometimes that's true. But sometimes he comes in and he brings to us temptations, whether it's overt sin that we might commit or maybe it's sin where we omit doing what we know is right. He tempts us to be passive, apathetic, complacent, and by doing so, detracts us from what God would have us to do. And I see in this same story, this, this man's strength because of the spirit that is within him reminds me that I should not take the work of the enemy lightly. He is a strong man. 
He is a strong enemy. Um, <laughs> there was a little song, and now I can't remember the words. When we were when we were kids, we used to sing it. Uh, something about um, Satan sitting on attack. Do you remember that? What, what is that song? Somebody help me. Uh, man. Yay! Yay! Whatever that. Right. Uh, this little light of mine, right? I'm going to let it shine, right? Won't let Satan get out. I'm going to let it shine. But I can't remember. There was something funny about the Satan sitting on attack. That's it. If Satan doesn't like it, he can sit on attack, right? Cute. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I learned in my time of dealing with those who were actually enslaved by the power of, of the devil sometimes those who were possessed, certainly those who were oppressed, is that um, we should not be flippant in our attitude towards the enemy. We should be careful uh, being uh, casual or careless about who he is and what his intentions are because, friends, he, he really does want to destroy the good things in your life. And he'll use all kinds of means to do that. And I don't want you to be, I don't want you to walk in fear because, listen, the power that is within you, Jesus Christ, is greater than any power that is in the world. But by the same token, by the same turn, it doesn't mean that you can't be wounded. You know, what what does the scripture say? Be uh, gentle as doves, but wise as a serpent. So don't, don't, be, don't walk around in fear of this one who wants to destroy you. Even that passage that says he's a, he's a roaring lion uh, prowling about seeking someone to devour isn't telling us to, to walk in fear. It's telling us to be aware, be smart, be proactive, be vigilant because he's a real threat to our lives, to our plans, to our families. So don't Take him lightly, yet don't live in fear. So this reminds me that that when the enemy comes to seek and to kill and destroy, he's bringing death. When he comes, he's powerful. He's strong. He should not be taken lightly. But here's something else that I learned from this. tells us in verse... Six, that when this man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, who do you think is speaking there? Is it this poor man who's been possessed? Yeah, what we learn here is it's the spirit within him speaking because he knows He knows who Jesus is, and this is something we learn, that the enemy, when he comes to mess with you, when he comes to destroy things, when he comes to lead you into temptation, he is fully aware of who Jesus is, and he's fully aware of where Jesus is in your life. It's not a mystery to him, but he still wants to come to fight. And we notice that there might be a little bit of fear in the voice of the demon in this story because then he actually says I adjure you meaning I beg you by God don't torment me and it says that he said this because Jesus had already been saying to him come out of that man you unclean spirit so while I recognize that The enemy knows who Jesus is. Guess what, my friends? Jesus knows who the enemy is. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, there is no delay in the story here. Remember how this worked. He's telling stories to the people. Uh, He's telling them parables. He's teaching them truths about the kingdom of heaven. He jumps in the boat with the disciples. He's taking a nap, and then he shows his incredible power over the wind and the waves and the seas. They hit the shore of the other side of this body of water where he intended to go 
They step off the boat, and it says, as soon as he stepped off the boat, a man came out of the tombs, a man who was possessed by a demon who no one could control and no one could do anything with, and they had tried. And immediately we understand that Jesus begins to look at him and say, come out of him, you unclean spirit. So I learn here that the enemy wants to take us to a place of death. I learn here that he's worthy to be taken seriously. I learn here that he is aware, he knows who Jesus is and he fears him. And I know that when Jesus arrives on the scene of our trouble, he immediately begins to take up our cause. It's interesting to note here that while Jesus has said to this unclean spirit, come out, it is not instantaneous. Apparently, Jesus has to work at this a little bit. I don't know why that is. You know, in my thinking, if, if Jesus is God, I, I believe that's what the scripture teaches. He's fully God. I mean, if, if Jesus wants something, doesn't it just get done? Well, is that how it works in your life? I mean, with you. Like, let's turn this lens inward. When God wants you to do something, is it just automatically done? Mm, I wish. It's not that the task is too great, but it's that the, the scriptures tell us that we are in a wrestling match, a war with powers and principalities of the air, that our fight is not with our brothers and sisters, this flesh and blood that we walk amongst, but that it is with spirit. And Jesus is fighting that fight in this story on this man's behalf. And it tells me that when we are in trouble and the enemy is against us, when Jesus shows up, he's on our side. He's fighting for us. And then Jesus says to him, what is your name? And the demon answers him and says, my name is Legion for we are many. The word legion in the Roman army meant about 6,000 men. We don't know if that really means that there were 6,000 spirits in this man. We just understand that it means that, that there were many. And then listen to this. And then the spirit in verse 10. I'll just tell you this part. He says, we, my, our name is Legion. My name is Legion for we are many. And then the spirit begins to beg Jesus not to cast them out. And says, uh, the scripture says, began to, to beg Jesus not to send them out of the country. Not entirely sure what that means. Um, there's a lot of these things about spiritual warfare and the spiritual nature of things that we don't get full insight into. Where did they want to go? I don't know. But then we learn that there was this, this huge herd of pigs nearby. You might think, well, that's weird. This is, this is Jesus and his disciples. This is in this Jewish country. There were also Gentiles. And these pigs were probably being grown for the Gentile community, about 2,000 head of pig, 2,000 pigs. And this town that they were in now, remember, they'd come across on the boat, so they were near the water. And so these spirits, it says here in the Bible, ask Jesus, don't throw us out, don't cast us away from this place, from this location, but instead cast us into those pigs. If you're going to force us to leave this man, cast us into those pigs. I don't know if that was, if they thought that that was going to allow them to stick around. I don't, it's, it's a weird kind of idea, like, okay. Did they think they would, they would go into the pigs and just be able to hang out for a while and then find somebody else? I don't know. 
whatever the case, Jesus does it. The scripture tells us Jesus does it. He sends them into these pigs, and then the pigs become so crazed that they run themselves into the sea and they perish, they drown. This tells me something else. That, and this gets a little messed up in our world today, and I, and I understand it a little bit. We love animals, we love God's creation. Um, but animals are not people. And what I learned from this is that that Jesus demonstrated the value of that man, that one man, over that 2,000 head of, of swine. Pretty sure Jesus knew what was going to happen, at least suspected what was going to happen when they went into those pigs. And he was unwilling to let this man continue to suffer. And he was willing to sacrifice those pigs for his life. And some of us, some of us might be kind of offended by that. I, it's, it's funny, I, I know lots of people, we watch movies, right? Um, <laughs> and I, I find this sort of amusing, but I don't, I don't know. You know, 15 people just died in this movie, but then the dog dies, and people are like, oh, now come on. The dog? Really? The dog had to die? I mean, the John Wick film series is practically completely built upon the fact that somebody kills this guy's dog. I get it. Look, we got two dogs at home. I love those guys. Don't come after my dog. We're going to have problems. But I would still dare to say that if I had to choose between my dog and my son, my dog and my, my beautiful wife, I'm going to let the dog go. I mean, I love them. I really do. They bring me a lot of joy, bring me a lot of comfort. Uh, we've had lots of laughs and great times with those little guys. But even the scripture tells us, Jesus himself said, look at the sparrows, how beautiful they are. Think about how much God cares for those, each and every one. In fact, he says, every time one of them falls from the sky, Jesus knows. God knows every time a, a little tiny bird falls from the sky. And then he says, and yet think how much more he values you than that little bird. It's not that he doesn't value the bird. It's that there's something about you that he values more. Imago Dei, we talked about that a few weeks ago. The image of God that's stamped in every human being. It's different than all of other creation. And then finally, he casts out the, the demons, they go into the pigs, they run into the sea. Uh, this has probably crashed the local economy now, these 2,000 pigs. I'm serious, because here, the herdsmen came, or the herdsmen fled, the guys who took care of the, the cattle, this is verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told the people in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Yeah, I feel you. Oh, those terrible people. I, I hope I wouldn't be one of them. But what's happened here? They've, the man is, is notorious in the region, right? And the herdsmen ran to the people in the city who were expecting to enjoy the benefit of those pigs, told them everything that had happened, and those people came out and say, what? Is that true? That really happened? And they come up, and here's, you know, here's old Fred that used to be out there banging around in the tombs, 
tearing everything up, fighting people, breaking his chains, couldn't be bound. And he's sitting at the table all dressed and cleaned up, having some lunch. And they're like, what happened here? And it says that they were afraid of that. Afraid of the power of God. And that fear caused them then, instead of to rejoice over the work that God had done, what this tells me is that sometimes people will see the work of God and they'll hate you for it. They'll hate God for it. And instead of lifting their hands to rejoice in the work that God has done, they'll actually actively say, God, get out of here. Ooh, and then finally... So that was verse 17. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And what did Jesus do? He got back in the boat. Verse 18. As he was getting back into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. What does this last thing tell me? It reminds me of the story of the of the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus and some of his disciples, just a few of them, go up onto this mountain, and on the top of that mountain, the glory of God falls, and they see, literally, Moses, Abraham. And the disciples say, let's, this is incredible, this is crazy, this is great. Jesus, let's set up, let's set up a, a little temple right here, a monument, and let's just camp out here because this is incredible. And Jesus says, we can't do that. We've got to go back down there where the people are that need this presence to go to them. And this story reminds me of that because this, this man has experienced the power of God in this mighty way. His life has been, I mean, can you imagine, so transformed. He's been set free. He's, he's enjoying liberty that he hasn't had for years. He's going to be able to go back and be with his family. He's going to be able to live a life of purpose because of the work that Jesus did in him, this freedom that he's been offered. And it's, it's a natural thing. He says, man, I, just, I want to go everywhere Jesus is going now. I want, to, I want to see more of this. I want to hear more of this. And, and Jesus says, no, no, you're, look, that's great. I, I, I love it. I love the passion. But your greater work is to go back to your home, go back to your family, go back to your town. And show them the work that I have done. Go and be a witness to those who have not yet heard. And so this tells me that, that when God does a great work in our lives, when he encounters us in places when we're in trouble, when we're being oppressed, when the enemy is out to get us and we cannot fight him on our own, he is faithful to stand in, to step in, and immediately go to work on our behalf. And some people won't like it when they see us get free. Some people won't like it. In fact, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of a couple of my friends who have been set free from, from alcohol, and some of those friends that they used to just be in the depths with don't want to hang out with them anymore because they're mad that they got sober. Amen? It's true. And so I know that sometimes when God does a great work, people won't like it. And they'll be mad at you and they'll be mad at God. And when that happens, we might think, well, I've got to get out of here. I've got to bug out. But the work of God is saying, no, no. Be a witness right where you are of the mighty work that I've done. We have no way of knowing that once this man went back to his town, to his community, to his family, what impact that had. I'd like, I'd like to say probably a lot, but I don't know. The fact of the matter is it might have, it might have had zero impact on people. <laughs> 
But what's important is that he do what Jesus told him to do. What's important for you and I, the lesson to learn out of that is that, that in the aftermath and the, and the result of the work of God in our lives, that we be faithful to do what God tells us to do. Trust him for everything that comes after that. And so I leave you with that passage, with that exposition of those thoughts, those ideas. And there's so much more that could be, be brought out of this. But I wanted this, hopefully, to be an encouragement to you because I know without question that in our lives, we still face the assault of the enemy. We still wrestle with him. He still seeks to devour us. And so as he does, I give you these words of encouragement that when Jesus shows up, he will fight on your behalf. Call out to him. Make sure that you're not keeping him out of your circumstances, throwing elbows and saying, Jesus, I got this. I got it covered. Get him in there. He won't force his way in. And when he does, he will work on your behalf. And it doesn't mean it'll be easy. But it does mean that he will do his work. And when he does... Praise him for it and share it with others. As I pray, worship team, would you come and join me again? Sing together for a final song. And then we're going to close with a video this morning, a little bit longer than some of the ones we've used in the past, but uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, for... Uh, it's amazing to me that, that even after all this time, these words were written down so long ago they still have power to speak into our lives today. They still have relevance to our circumstance today. It's truly miraculous, and I thank you for it. Lord, I pray that these words would settle in our hearts. And Lord, I, I, I hope, I pray that I've communicated truths that you have revealed and not my own, my own thoughts this morning. Lord, that they might be an encouragement to us. Lord, that as we face trials and struggles and attacks from the enemy, that we would see more clearly how to trust in you. And Lord, also to see clearly what you desire from us as you work in our lives. Lord, thank you for your word. And the blessing that it is in Jesus' name. Amen.
close out with a video uh, this morning and uh, it's kind of in recognition of the, uh, the the marking of Emancipation Day on Friday, Juneteenth, the, uh, the day that the emancipation of our black brothers and sisters was signed into law in this country, but I think this is something that probably most of you are not aware of and have never seen and I hope it will bless you and uh, when that video is over, we'll be dismissed. And uh, when you're dismissed here in the auditorium, if you would go out those back two doors only, please, and outside, that would be great. I love you. It is awesome to see you here, and I'm glad that you were able to join us today. This has been an awesome night, isn't it, everyone? How many of you like Negro spirituals? An old black lady down south showed me something about the Negro spirituals, and I want to share it with you. Uh, you know, the black folk down south had more sense by accident than some of us have on purpose, you know what I mean? You didn't hear what I said. I heard an old black lady say, son, if the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. Uh-huh, think about that for a minute. But did you know, she said to me, did you know all, just about all Negro spirituals are written on the black notes of the piano? <laughs> this is absolutely true. You can go home tonight and play almost any Negro spiritual, just play the black notes on the piano. You look skeptical. Now, you can't see it out there, but I want you to watch. Watch. There are five black notes on the piano. And those same five black notes just keep recurring. You can go home tonight and play almost any Negro spiritual. Just play the black notes. Watch. 
You know that? Every time I feel the spirit, just black notes. Watch this. That's because the slaves didn't come to America with do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, di, do. That's somebody else's scale, okay? All they had in their musical scale were those five black notes. We know it in music as the pentatonic scale. And they built the power and pathos of the Negro spiritual on five notes. When you study music, you also come across what are known as white spirituals. Did you know that? And they are white composers who work with those that scale, in early America, they used to call this the slave scale. And I'm going to play for you what some musicologists think is the most famous white spiritual built on the slave scale or just the black notes. Anybody tonight know who wrote that song? I heard it, a man by the name of John Newton. But do you know what John Newton did before he became a Christian? He was the captain of a slave ship. And many believe heard this melody that sounds very much like a West African sorrow chant and wrote the words, amazing grace, and set his words to a slave melody I looked up that song I believe God wanted that song written just the way it was written just so that we would be reminded that as Christians whether black or white free or bond in his eyes we're all connected we are connected and we are connected by God's amazing grace We are connected by God's amazing grace. Woo! I looked up that song in the Library of Congress. I looked up, I went to the Library of Congress, I looked up that song. And wherever you see it authentically printed, you know what it says? Words, John Newton, melody unknown. Tell the Lord, when I get to heaven, I want to meet Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but boy, I want to meet that slave called unknown. And I, and I, I, I recorded that song the way I hear it when I sing it. I still hear the sounds of the slave ships in the water. I want to sing it for you the way John Newton probably first heard it coming up out of the belly of the ship. Listen. How sweet the sound 
And when we 